We started this last Wednesday, and uh, we have about eight different districts that uh, all service and send kids to us. And uh, probably the biggest crisis that we had so far this year is busing. It's been on the news, it's been everywhere. We've had some of the parents that have called us, threatened to pull their kids out because of the busing. And it's really is totally beyond us. But anyway, we started this last Wednesday, had our first full day of school, everything went well. And I noticed in walking the halls, being inside, in and out of classrooms, that uh, the tone's a little bit different this year. It seems like there's a, almost a bit of a serious eagerness. I mean, kids get excited, let's face it. A lot of them are excited. Uh, but I've seen a, a different tone this particular year. And I think I know why, and that's, well, we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes. But on Thursday and Friday of this week, we took our high school and we do what we call a high school retreat. We've done this for a number of years now, and last year we actually decided to utilize our own field out here in the summit, and it worked incredibly well. Student leadership said, let's do that again. And I said, you've got to realize how much work that is. And they said, that's okay, we can do that. And I think they're finding out how much work that is. But, but I will tell you, it set an incredible tone. The response of the students was fantastic. This particular year, 42% of our high school is brand new. Uh, some of them international, some of them local. But 42%, can you imagine that? Showing up one year and all of a sudden having half of your school in the high school division is brand new. But the connectability in what God is doing is, is absolutely incredible. And so uh, I couldn't be more excited about what God is doing. But I wanted to tell you that this beginning of this year marks the 25th year of Erie First Christian Academy in the center. It was literally, it was literally, God gave the vision to a board member on his way to a church council meeting back in 1992 that God spoke to him and said, I want you to talk about starting a school. And that's what they did. And we added a great a year and then in 2006, we had our first senior graduating class. Over that time, we've been able to account for, now we have some students that will come one year and leave, and so record keeping has changed. You know how databases have changed and the software we use and all that. So to the best of our ability, we know just a little bit over, I can safely say no less than 1,200 students have gone through the academy in the last 25 years. We've had over 675 that have gone through the Early Ed Center. All right, and then I'll give you one more stat and then you can clap for that because God is doing some great things. 303 students have graduated from high school here. 174 of them are local, 129 international. Yeah. So, I will tell you when I sensed, when I was asked at that time back in 1999 to consider coming and being a part of the staff and uh, realizing that I had sort of an educational background and I was a pastor and I had just finished uh, working on an MBA and had done some business thing and I had this combined position. And at that particular time, I just sensed that God was up to something and I did not know, I was not told at the time that it would be continuing. And when I came, we had just added sixth grade. And it was a few years after that that we added some of the others. And some of you know that story, but I reiterate that for those of you that are brand new because I know some of you have come within the last year. But God is really doing some, some crazy things and some great things, and I like that. One thing I want to start off with, though, to tell you, is as administrators, I've heard, I've been doing this now for 31 years straight. This is my 31st school year, 19th year to do it here. You hear some funny stories. Probably one of my classic. I wish I could tell you that I, I knew one from this week, but being out at the high school retreat the last couple of days, I didn't catch any of those. But Mrs. B in kindergarten always has some fun ones. But one of my favorites, I think, comes from a second grader. Second grader was so excited about midway through the year, she went home, saw her grandparents, uh, grandparents' day afterwards, and said, hey, Grandma, I gotta tell you, we learned today in school how to make babies. And Grandma's reaction was about like yours. 
what? Um, okay, tell me more. How do you make babies? Oh, Grandma, it's real simple. You change the Y to I and you add ES. <laughs> Don't you love it? That is classic. That is absolutely classic. You know, sometimes we as adults make things a little more complicated than what they really are. And sometimes we need to be reminded once again of going back to the basics and re-looking at that. And so I want to tell you that one of the things that we do around here, and one of, part of my, my job as superintendent, and now I'm serving as secondary principal as well, and uh, in doing that is that we set tone. And uh, it's like we, we do our homework to get things ready. I love it when we, we ended the school year. I, had, I can't tell you. It happens every year. I've been doing this for years. People would come up to me and say, so what are you going to do all summer? Uh, get the year ready. Uh, we actually don't really relax until about October because that's just before the high schoolers start getting in trouble, you know, and before you have to start dealing with discipline on a daily basis. So it makes it kind of fun. But nevertheless, I want to tell you that uh, every year we do something around here that we believe because we're a Christian school. We pray and ask God for a theme verse. We've been doing that for every year since I've been here, and I think they even did that prior to that. And this year the Lord gave us Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And we took and had it printed up. Kate did a really good job for us. We post this everywhere throughout the school. It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then we take that theme verse, administration and I, and those that are in the office around here, and we pray over this. We walk the halls, we pray over that, asking God what he's having us to do and, and where, where things are at and, and where, where do we belong. And that's exactly what we've done. And in the midst of that, I want to share some of the insights that I think God gave me this last year for our school. And I think that's really what set the tone this year and why it's so different. Because two summers ago, as I was praying the halls and asking God for his blessing upon the school, God spoke to me very clearly and he said, why do you keep praying for my blessing? And I thought, why not? It's a Christian school. And I felt like the Lord said to me very strongly, don't pray for my blessing, pray for my presence. And that year, all year long, we as a staff spent time and we actually kept inviting God's presence to show up. And you know what happens when God's presence shows up? You deal with issues. And there are days that you come at the end of the day when you're dealt with some stuff and you, sometimes you think, oh, if they would just get this, it wouldn't be so hard. And I felt like I spent my whole day dealing with something that could have been solved a whole lot easier. But then the Lord kind of reminds us once again, well, why do you think you're there? You're there as the provider, the spiritual leader, the mentor to each of these to give them that wisdom and direction. And that's why we do what we do. And today's one of those days where we wanted to just share with you your school, our school. But I have a question for you before I expound just a little bit on that verse. And that is, what is at the center of your life? What is at the center of your life? That sounds basic, of course. We all know the answer is Jesus. Because the answer to every spiritual question is Jesus, right? We've heard that whether it's Sunday school or not, and people don't go to Sunday school much anymore. But if you've been attending youth group or you've been attending a Christian school in your chapel, you know that the answer to every spiritual question is Jesus. But I dare say that if we really are honest with ourselves, we have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives and we allow other things to get in the way, whether it be family, my family's more important, or whether it be our career, or whether it be success. Our identity many times, and especially, it's not just the males, it's everybody. Our identity sometimes is in what we do, not who we are. And we have to understand and be reminded once again. And then sometimes I have noticed, because I work with teenagers in this day and age, they are married to this. 
They live with this. It's hard sometimes to carry on a conversation without somebody being interrupted, is it not? And I've heard people say on both sides, oh, that's so great, the, 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 the technology that we've got and how we're able to access it. And I hear other people say, I absolutely hate these things. Well, why do you let it control you? So my question is, what is at the center for your life? Because see, we can fill it with good things, but they become evil in the midst of that. And we've got to be careful that we keep the main thing the main thing. In case you haven't noticed, we're going to be tested. Always. Uh, somebody said to me, some of our graduates last year, I, I ran into a couple of them in the office this, this week. Two of them are coming back to, as alumni to help coach the, the boys' soccer. And so I asked both of them, what are you guys doing? One of them's in college. The other one is just working. And I said, so what's going on? He says, I'm living the dream. I said, so you're unemployed. <laughs> and he kind of laughed, thought that. He said, no, I have no more tests. I said, oh, sorry, partner, life's tests. For every one of us, life's a test. So get used to it. The interesting thing about it is a test is what develops our character. Now, some people cringe when they hear the word test. They automatically start sweating, thinking, oh, no, I can't do this. But a test is never meant to be that way. A test is not meant to trip you up. A test is meant to evaluate you. In fact, frankly, if you fail the test as a student, we should whoop the teacher. What do you think about that? Oh, in some schools they do that. No, just kidding. But understand, if, if as the teacher has not taught the student, you've not completed the lesson. That's what the test is all about. So we shouldn't be fearful of tests. In fact, tests reveal our character. And character is never developed unless we're going through some things. You do not develop your character when everything goes right. It's just a human, human nature on this. Well, we're not the only ones that were tested. Jesus himself was tested. In Mark chapter 12, in fact, the few verses just before this, I want to share that with you. Because Jesus himself passed the test. And if he can pass it, so can we. Listen to this. He gives us some guidelines. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. Love that. He asked him, of all the commandments, then, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, the teacher replied. Uh, you are right in saying that God is the one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now think about that. I love this part. If you think for just a minute, imagine the teacher asking you a question and you answer in such a godly fashion that the teacher looks at you and says, not asking you anymore. I would love that. No more, you get an A, that works. I had a student the first year I taught, his name was Malachi. I think Malachi's IQ was three times what mine was. He's in fourth grade. And he used to correct me on things that I would think, oh, and after a while, God showed me through that process that I, that I was there to help mold and shape and educate. And a lot of it had to do with the spiritual. Some people are just smarter. But imagine responding like Jesus did. Well, Jesus is quoting a portion of Scripture that even today is known by the Jews. It's called the Shema. And the reason it's called the Shema is that is a Hebrew word meaning here. 
that passage of scripture comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, where Jesus is then responding to them saying, I want you to understand that he's quoting something that the Jews every single day, they're still looking for the Messiah, we found him, all right? And we're trying to tell him that he did come in the flesh, okay? But that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying the most important of all the commands, there were 10 that were given to him, the Jews followed 613 laws on top of that, but now he's being tested. And Jesus responds with very simple. He uses something that was very familiar to the culture that they're around. The word of God remains the same. It's the culture that he was relating to. So what does Jesus do? He says right away, I want you to understand something. Yes, it's important to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said, look at the precursor to that. You've got to understand why he said that. Two things Jesus mentioned here. First of all, he's saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's reminding us and them, okay? It's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament as well. He's reminding us of the covenant, the covenant relationship we have with God. I love being able to speak on a day after we've had communion. It's a perfect tie-in. And thanks, Pastor Jim, for that, for, for expounding and being able to remind us. Sometimes we, we get into the ritual that it's nice to hear a fresh face or a fresh perspective, and it causes us to sit there and say, that's right, that's right. And it's a shame he's not enthusiastic, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. But, but I'm, what I'm saying is, we do have something to get excited about. And that's what Jesus was saying. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Understand, remember the covenant relationship we have with God. And it's been fulfilled because of who Jesus is. And because of that, he's reminding, we don't control God. We don't go to God and tell him in prayer all the time, okay, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. You promise this, I'm demanding this. It's a covenant. It's a working at it. But God said, I will give those to you. I've given you my promises. So remember that. The second one doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to us, but I want you to culturally understand. They lived in a day and a time where they had many different gods, little g's, little deities. And what they were saying at the time in Deuteronomy was, the Lord our God is one. It was the precursor to the fact that he was coming in the Trinity. Jesus then is reminding us and everybody else that God the Father of the Old Testament, Jesus is God in the flesh that came now, and God the Holy Spirit is the power that causes us to be able to do what we do. We're all one within that. So here, all of us, not just Israel, here all of us, the Lord God is one. And because he is one, we need to do the same. Now I lay that precursor because I want you to understand. In this portion of scripture, and in this verse that we have, we have to understand what that really means. It's easy for us to love somebody else that's loved us first, is it not? Okay, really it is. And we love God, why? Because 1 John 4 says we love him because he first loved us. Absolutely, it's a response. God did that and he's not willing that any of us miss that. There are three components though, and I've given you an outline if you picked it up coming in and on the backside we'll highlight the teachers in a few minutes. But on that first part is a, a series of concentric circles. And I wanna look at those three things. I think it's kind of interesting how God does this. He does it in such a way to where the command he gives them in the Old Testament carries over to the New, and Jesus enhances it a little bit. Sometimes we throw it off, because Mark's Gospel has four components, not three. And you go, well, what does that mean? Think of these three concentric circles. Part of our worship, then, needs to include all three. 
And I've heard people say things like, well, you know, worship's a private thing. I do my own thing. No, it's not. And worship is when I come in here and I sing. No, it's not. That's a part. It's not all of it. Worship is also what you do when we leave here. Worship is what you do throughout the week. That's all part of it. Worship is using your gifts as a part of that. That's what that is. So let me spill that out real quick, and I'll walk this through. The first one is these three concentric circles represent the circles of our life. The inner one is the heart. And that one refers to the inner side of our lives, our thoughts, our emotions, and what gets us a little bit excited. All right? It's the part that people can't see. You know how when you look at somebody and you're not quite sure who they are, but once you start talking to them, you get to the next circle, and that is what you do get to see. The next one is soul or self. I also found this rather funny that the last three weeks, Pastor Nicole's been teaching on a series entitled Navigator, talking about our soul and how we can find a rested soul and a liberated soul. And, and uh, I find that rather interesting as I was preparing for this and I shared with her what I was looking at. She says, oh, sounds like you're doing the fourth part of my series of three. And I said, sure, why not? But the soul is the next one, or a better term for that, it might be self. We'll put soul because that's what the scripture mentions right here. But there's a Hebrew word, and we'll get to that, and it's already on your notes, but I'll highlight it. So that refers to our whole being, the outside, our body as well, all right? And then what we do in our actions. The third component there is the strength, all right? So heart, soul, and strength. The strength on the outer ring refers to our impact within the world. It has to do with, encompasses our family, our wealth, the possessions we have, and even the relationships that we have, the gifts that have been given to us. All three of those, if the Lord is one and we have a covenant relationship with him, what are we supposed to be? One. I know the answer is Jesus, but it's one, okay? Yeah. Yes, we're to be one. So if we're to be one, then we don't take any one of these. We put them all together. So we've got we to combine them, heart, soul, and strength. You with me so far? I know you are. Most of you are nodding. I don't see anybody falling asleep. I read a book this last year, and uh, one of several that I was doing by Scott Reed, who is a president of some Reformed theological thing, and was entitled Wholehearted. That's where I got this title of the message from, thinking about we're all in. We're there. We're wholehearted in everything that we do. We've got to do it to the absolute best from the core of who we are. And in there, he talked about some of these spheres, and he talked about that gives us a really good picture of, if you will, the comprehensiveness of each of our lives. There is no aspect then of our lives that should not be devoted to the covenant God. Not a one. We don't compartmentalize. We don't suddenly say, well, I go to church on Sunday, but you know, Monday through Friday is my day, and I'll do it my way. And so we've over time, and I'm of a generation of oh, things they call the boomers. I'm not sure why we got those titles. It doesn't matter. That's another time. But, but frankly, we're of that generation that we, we worked hard at everything being polished. We worked hard at making sure everything looked right, the external. And yet where we failed a lot of people was really developing the inside. Let's just be real. So this new generation's coming along and they're not polished. They're not wanting to be polished. In fact, they don't even want to be labeled, so we can't label them. They're the know-nothings, you know? They've given them titles, they've given them millennials and everything, who knows what. But anyway, nevertheless, all components need to be put together. And what I've watched in the church in all the years I've been here, and I've watched even in education, is that sometimes we learn to do what's right on the outside when on the inside we're not feeding that whatsoever. It reminds me of the student who was sitting in the classroom that just wouldn't sit still. We since learned nowadays that they call it ADD or ADHD or APDDQ, or who knows whatever other, 
uh, labels they give to it. But nevertheless, there are some people that we tell them to sit still, and God's whispering in their ears, wiggle, wiggle, move. So now we've come out with a tool for that. It's called that spinner. And it's like, and now that's become a craze, and people have gone into it. Well, there is something truthful about some of that, but they become more of a distraction now than anything else. You see what's happening? That's what happens in our society when we don't do it the right way. You've got to go back to the basics. So what I'm telling you is, you know, you may tell little Johnny to sit down in class, and he may eventually sit down. And I heard one kid one time say, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> God wants us to be transparent and genuine from the core out. You follow what I'm saying? And therefore, sometimes taking time and not having the instant gratification of being able to have this. We have a library here in the school. I walked some people around recently and showed them our library, and they said, you have a library, but everything's available online. I said, yeah, but accreditation requires us to have a library with so many volumes per kid. Now, most of these books get dusty because the kids go here. And it's interesting how that happens, but that translates then sometimes into our spiritual lives in that we want instant everything. We want the answer right now. There's something about being able to go back and being wholehearted and sold in for God and meditating on what his word says and letting it reach us from the core to affect our actions, to affect our world. And then it becomes genuine. You follow me? Well, I'd like to look at these a little bit, just a little bit more, and I think I'm doing great. So at times we get caught up in the tests. Like I said earlier, if you haven't been tested yet, well, hang on, because you're about to. And if you're going through a test, well, hang on, because it's going to end. All right? Most of us can endure a test if we know how long they are. If we don't, if we, if we think this is an eternal test, we want to give up. But it's to test our character and to develop us and to move us on. So Jesus had given everything he did for us. It's all-encompassing love relationship he gave, and he's asking us to do the same. What I find kind of interesting is that he knows us. He knows our frailty. He knows our capacity. He knows our love. He knows where it limits and where it doesn't. And we need to just reflect on who he is and understand that the test is for us and it's for our benefit. Because we know, and if you're not meditating on verses of scripture, things like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and not harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God has a hope for every one of us. God has something that he wants to be able to bless. No good thing does he withhold from those that are his. Did you know that? And you need to remind yourself, because the enemy's trying everything he can. And in fact, the enemy today, if he cannot sidetrack you, he'll get you so busy that you don't know which way's right. And that's what's happening. In fact, that was predicted. It's also in scripture. But I'd like to look at these three very briefly. The first one's Lev, and I do have it in your notes. Lev is heart. What does Lev in the Hebrew mean? Say that with me, Lev, Lev. Okay, now you spoke Hebrew today. You didn't think you were coming to church to speak Hebrew, did you? Okay, Lev. With a few exceptions in scripture, what I found in my study is that it refers to the inner space of a place or the inner space of a person, Lev. So it does not mean necessarily the physical heart. A couple of places in scripture, it is used that way and uh, makes it a little tough to try to understand. But what it really means is it really means the cognitive or volitional aspects of who we are. It it's really encompasses three quick things. The first one, our emotions. How many of you live by your emotions? Be honest. Okay, I see three hands. The rest of you are liars, okay? No, there are a few people who don't. Yeah, thank you. Honestly, we do things based on our emotions. Can we trust our emotions? 
Why not? You guys were quick on that one. Because they fluctuate, don't they? You know, I, I, I told my kids for years, things are never quite as great as they seem. Oh, this was super duper fantastic. It really was? Oh, man, they're never as bad as they seem either. You think about it. God gave us our emotions, and what we do is we, we kind of put it backwards. We make all our decisions based on emotions. I don't feel like doing that, okay? No, you need to let the emotions follow the facts and our faith. And so that first part of Lev encompasses our emotions. It's our feelings, our passions, our desires, and our will. They all come from the heart. I love Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's what I mean. We tend to make decisions based on emotions. Used car salesmen know this. Nothing against Bert. He's smart. He's, he's legit. Okay, I'm just telling you. I know that. So don't anybody, you all looked at him. I mean, sorry, Bert. But I'm just going to tell you. I mean, typically you get a bad rap, and you know that. But I'm telling you, I've read some of the statistics. If the salesman on the lot can get you to say yes to seven questions, they know statistically you're in the 80 to 90% range you're going to buy a car today. It's a nice day out today, isn't it? Yes. Oh, you looking for a car? Yes. Statistically, they know that. Why? Because it's emotions. You follow me? That carries over into oh, so many other things. That wasn't in my notes. The guys upstairs are going to kill me. Second one is our thoughts. All right? In Hebrew, the heart holds cognitive functions as well. Consider these examples from Proverbs. From the wise mind comes wise speech. When somebody begins to talk and you say, wow, they, they seem to be wise beyond their years. Yeah, because they have a wise mind. It's part of our heart. All right? But the one I put in your notes is, is real, and I almost, this is tough, because I wanted to, to, to really go off a little farther, and I'm not doing it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Why? Because we're going to take captive every thought and make it obedience to Christ. Now, when your feelings are contrary to Scripture, do you follow your feelings? The answer is no, Okay. When your feelings, your emotions are contrary to Scripture, and you say, but this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do. If it contradicts the Word of God, it is not His will. It's real simple. But you have to know that. You have to keep those in check. So, lev means understanding our emotions and our thoughts. The last one that goes with that that you don't see on here, and this is somewhere expounding on a kid's level. I want you to know we'll be talking about these in chapel throughout the year, whether it be in high school, middle school, or elementary school. We'll be expounding on this all year long talking about it. But the last one's the moral compass. Our moral compass. God, the heart provides us a moral compass from which we behave, either act good or we act bad. God wants us to walk according to his word to the extent that he's written it on our hearts. Looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Kind of reminds me of somebody who decides to take a test, knows it's coming. Mrs. Hardy, I see her sitting back there. She teaches every science possible that we have around here. And uh, some of those kids are like, they know better. They cannot study the night before, can they? No. And if they come walking in saying, I'm going to ace this test today, but I haven't cracked the book, it's not going to happen. You know, life's like that. Sometimes we pray and we're in the midst of a trial and a test and we cry out to God and God says, you should have done your homework. Sometimes we have to learn a lesson the hard way and come back around. All right? Doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It just means 
We need that moral compass. And in order to have that moral compass, we need God's word hidden in our heart. We need to be in there daily. If you don't have a theme verse for your own life, I, I recommend it. I recommend having that, posting it, going over it. So that's our heart. Remember that when Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, he actually said, he told them at that particular point, what you guys are doing is you become so pharisaical, you become so good at polished on the outside, but it's the inside that he wanted us to change because he knew that the inside would affect the outside. In fact, Jesus even went so far as to say, look, you have a rule that says you cannot commit adultery, but I'm telling you, I'm gonna take it a step further. If you've even thought about it, you've lusted in your heart, you've committed it. What? Yes. So guard your thoughts. Because if you don't guard them, if it's not your moral compass, Jesus said, you've committed it. Now, imagine, we're going to have to answer for that one someday. All right? So we cannot compartmentalize, and, and that's not what he wants us to do. We need to take time, though, for self-examination. We're so busy. Pastor Jim shared in a devotional this week, and he shared a statistic that hasn't forgotten me since Tuesday. And he said, the average Christian today prays six minutes a day. Five? Yeah. The average pastor today spends 12. It's no wonder that our spirituality is so low that we're hitting the lid. Now, what does prayer mean? It doesn't mean, and I know some people get, they start praying and they go, okay, I prayed everything I know. You know, prayer is not changing God's mind. Prayer is aligning us up with him. And sometimes we need to pray our guts out and then sit and listen. Sometimes we need to pray the scriptures. There's so many different ways of doing that. And if you don't know those, those basics, that's part of what we do, again, within the school. And we have the liberty with which to do that in our own school here. This is kind of cool. Well, the second one is soul. The word is nefesh. Say that with me, nefesh. Nefesh, yes. All right, it basically means self or encompasses the whole self as to who we are. It can refer in some places in scripture to the inside, but it also refers to the actions, the body, the outside. It's what people see. The best way to do it, and probably to tie it with you, and you'll understand this with me, and that is nafish can also mean your personality. Oh, isn't that cool? All right. Um, we just had our fourth grandchild and about to have our fifth in a month or less. All right. Chloe's over there, and she is ready. My son, who lives in California, we had a chance to go see him, and my granddaughter, and I got a picture on my phone, I pray for my grandkids every single day. Little Everly is really cute. Johnny says to me, I'm there. She's two weeks old, three weeks old. He said, can you tell her personality? I said, already? And he said, yes. And I said, well, actually you can. And I said, there are certain components that we've seen over the time. But you see, that's what nafesh is. It's, it's, it's what you see from actions, all right? If you just lay still and you don't move, I can't tell anything about you. But if I stand and talk to you for a little while, you begin to start seeing because what's in your heart is what comes out is what you start talking about, what you're passionate about. It's your personality. It's, it's, it's the soul. It's the self. It's the nafish. It's the second component of you. So your actions are determined by what has been in your heart. You got it? Got it. All right? So much so, and that word nafish also means breath, which indicates an outward expression, something that comes out. So needless to say, I put in your notes Luke 6, verses 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. A good man brings the good things out that are stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings the evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see how the two tie together? Interesting on that, isn't it? So it's the fruit, and sometimes we say, well, you know, I kind of judge that person, you know, I can see by their fruit. Well, that's ah, going into a whole judgment thing. Nevertheless, We've got heart, we've got soul, 
And Jesus adds the word mind in Mark's gospel. It's not in the original. And the reason he does that is he wants us to understand that it has to do with what we think as well, that it ties in. The two work together. The last one is miad, and that is your strength. Say that with me, miad. Miad. Okay, now you've learned three Hebrew words. Isn't that great? All right, wonderful. It doesn't mean a thing if you don't relate it or don't use it for something. So it really means strength. Think of it this way. It's referring to the impact you have in the world. Are you worshiping God with your strength, with your miad? It incorporates our family. It incorporates our wealth, our possessions, our relationships. Think of it this way. It's the power. If you think of the Trinity, God is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God, the inner Jesus was the outer that we saw that came in flesh, and the Holy Spirit is the power that gives us. We're created the same way, okay? We have the inner, we have the physical on the outside, and we have the power. And what influence do we have with others? I love this. In the Old Testament, there are four different books, and I didn't expect you to learn this, but just so that you're slightly impressed with the fact that at least I did some homework, okay? In Exodus, that Miad refers to a divine army. In uh, Numbers, it's a reference to the Israelites' encampment as to how big they were. And uh, it can also, at that particular point, have family or familiar, familial or cultural implications. In Genesis, the word is used to describe the firstborn. Your miad is your firstborn. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to our culture. Sometimes it does. But typically, in Old Testament time, it did. If your firstborn was a male, that was really a big thing. You were really something. You produced a male child as your firstborn. That was your miad. That was your influence. And the oldest male took over whatever the family business was. That was important. That was the influence you had in society. All right? So it has to do with that. But in Leviticus, that's the one I put in your notes, 26 verse 20. It's used to refer to our farming efforts. And here's what it says. Your strength will be spent in vain because soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of, the land, of your land yield their fruit. It's kind of like taking the test before you did your homework. All right? And uh, it, it just works out that way. I learned something else. Jim, you didn't know I was going to reference you a couple times this morning, Pastor Jim. But he said something else that I didn't know. And I've lived here now going on 19 years. I did not know, forgive me, those of you that may know this, but he did because he's indigenous to this. But when he moved to the eastern part of the state, he took with him some grapes. And he planted those grapes. And what he said is, it was a, a long-term commitment because as he planted those, you don't see grapes for four years. And the fifth year and the fourth one's kind of, kind of limited. All right? That's a five-year commitment that it takes. And sometimes we want instant as I said earlier, you know, I want an answer, boom, here it is, just ask Siri, right? Sometimes you ask Siri some questions and you get some doozy of answers, all right? But it's amazing what technology has done for us today. That's great. Don't let that translate over into your relationship with God, okay? God says sometimes you're in it for the long haul. It's not a sprint, okay? It's a marathon, and God says, it's all about what influence do you have in the long run. You take all these ideas together in this one, and it refers to our estate. It, it refers to when you look at somebody, so we have that influence. Well, let me wrap all this up to just tell you this. Why is it that we have a theme verse like this for here at Erie First Christian Academy? And why is it that every year we pray about it? It makes it kind of challenging, by the way, to find a verse that can apply to secondary as well as kindergartners. 
And uh, that also translates into kind of our mission statement, which that is we've refined. We've had a very long, verbose mission statement. It's an excellent one. But I've noticed something. If our young kids don't know it, if our faculty struggles with articulating the exact mission, if administration has a tough time with it, it needs to be something that is catchable, that we know what it is. It's what drives us. Everything that we do, when I spent time with the high school leadership this summer, and I said, so why are we doing a retreat? They said, uh, to have fun? I said, yeah, okay. That's a lot of effort to put just for that. There's a purpose to this. And that purpose was for us to be able to fulfill a part of our mission statement. We're to love God in four different ways, and we're going to talk about that all year long. And we've had some great ones, but our mission statement is that we're partnering. We don't do it alone. We partner with the students, we partner with the faculty, we partner with parents. We partner with international components. We partner with this church. We do a lot of partnering, but we do two things around here. And everything that we do is going to filter one of those two things. And that is we're going to reach a heart or we're going to teach the mind. Okay? If we don't reach a heart or teach a mind, we don't do it. And we're going to do it with a biblical worldview. So when we did the high school retreat, why did we do it? My high school leadership team knew that we did it to reach a heart, to connect to take 96 students and to connect them. I watched the faculty this year, some of them, we got a couple of new ones. Mr. Estella is our Bible teacher this year, can you believe that? An alumni from us. Nice little Michael that we saw years ago. God's raised him up, sent him to Bible school, taught him a few things and sent him back. All right, but you know what? He, along with our Spanish teacher, I see him back there, Mr. Conkle. I've never hired a teacher the day before school in my life. I did this year. It's just, God is in charge, guys. I'm just telling you. I watched this man come in earlier, and, and these two guys just go out there and just love on our kids and get to know them. Why? Why are we doing that? To reach a heart. Now, I'm using them as an example. I'm not picking on that just because I happen to be the secondary principal now this year, okay? But I wanted to just share two quick letters with you. And Pastor Nicole, you can come up whenever, but I'm going to share these two, and then I'm going to ask we want to honor our staff because I did go longer. I tried so hard to go 20 minutes. Jason Bennett would bet me a steak dinner and I lose every time. <laughs> I want to share with you, and I've been given permission to share both of these anonymously. These are not fabricated letters. These are letters of two families that to me makes, the faculty I work with is unbelievable. They've, they've made a sacrifice to be here. And yet what we do is we still do nothing less than absolutely our best and, and give it to God. This comes from a student, and uh, again, I'm not reading the name. I was given permission, but uh, they entitled it, Dear Mrs. Fox, I wanted to write you a note to tell you thank you for all the teach and for all the teachers for all you've done for me the past six years. You've taught me so much about God's love. I've grown so much spiritually through EFCA. I made so many memories here that I will always remember. All of the teachers gave me such a love for learning, and it's always made me excited about school. Ah, I love it. Watch, watch these kids get here and get excited. I want to thank my classroom teachers for giving me confidence, the ability to speak in public, and for teaching me to always try my best. I also want to thank all the specials teachers who taught me to never give up and being the best that you can be. Every single person in this building made a difference in my life. Thanks for always loving and encouraging me. I will miss you, and I will pray for you greatly through this school year. Second one comes from a parent. And by the way, the reason they can't come back is it just so happens that economically right now, they can't make it work. And we're in that tough, it's a tough stage that we're in right now, economically. And we're just believing for what God is doing. 
This one comes from a family that's been here for a while. Some of you might be able to figure it out, but I blocked out the names anyway. Dear Erie First Christian Academy, this note is to thank everyone over the years who have been a part of our children's spiritual and educational growth and development. And um, our, our one child has attended EFCA from first through 12th grade and was part of that very first graduating class. Uh, my, our, our next one attended kindergarten through eighth grade, and then our last one K through six. We estimated that we've invested somewhere right around $100,000 in EFCA for our children's tuition and education. We, we know that's a lot of money, but we feel as though that was money well spent, and it was instrumental in the foundational years of our kids. We are disappointed that we are just no longer able to afford Christian education for our children. It is what it is, and we understand that there's always new chapters in our lives and times of coming and going in and out of our lives. We will always remember and treasure our children's education and treasure each and every one of you in the experiences at EFCA. God is up to something, but we live in a culture and a time when it's tough. It's hard for the middle class. And, uh, but I can tell you that one of the things that I'm incredibly excited about is being able to partner. Pastor Nicole and I have talked, and even during this transition, though I've been here, I've been at churches where I've made transitions before. I've been at four other church school situations. And I can tell you, God is in charge of the school. He always has been. And I came to carry a baton for a season and to do what God wants, and however long that is. I can tell you incredibly briefly that our core values are, are simply summed up in the word care. C-A-R-E and S. C stands for Christianity. It is at the core of what we do. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, rooted in him, nurtured by prayer, and strengthened by his word. A, we realize acceptance. Acceptance. Every child is a unique image bearer of God, and we want to develop that. It's not just a cookie cutter. Some people say they think that this is Starbucks Academy. They can have education however they want it. Well, we do believe when we look at kids, every one of them is unique, and God has a plan for them. The R is relationships. It's all about building team building and working that through together. The number one fear today, I heard it on the radio. I think I heard it on CTL, as a matter of fact. The number one parent fear this year is bullying. The number one. And I can tell you, I had a parent ask me last year, came to open house and said, do you have bullying in your school? And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, I have to be honest with you and say, yes. I do know it goes on. The stuff, the jesting that goes on in the locker, sometimes at what point does it go over? But I can tell you that we will address it every single time. So it's about relationships. The E is excellence. Everything that we do, we believe, is God's will to do to the absolute best of our ability. We're human. We do fall short. But frankly, we make sure that from the heart to the, to the soul to the strength, it's all done as unto him. And the last one we hope to see is an outgrowth, and that is servants. Servant leadership is what we want to see in the outgrowth of every one of our kids. And that's our vision, that we as a school would be at that place to where we would develop in these kids a desire and ability and a love for God in education. Pastor Nicole, thanks. Thank Pastor John. Well, yes, give him a thanks. All right. Hey, uh, yeah, just we're so proud to be partnered with this phenomenal vision and outreach to this community. And so as we invest our prayer and our resources into this academy, I really believe we're um, influencing, we're expanding our influence globally and locally as a church family. So here's how we'd like to end the service. Uh, at this time, um, would everyone stand, please? And um, if you are a teacher at Erie First Christian Academy this year, would you come down front? We want to... Um, 
just thank you, and we're going to pray for you in just a minute. I want to tell you as they're coming, um, we would also like to bless these guys tangibly. Um, there's a giving tree right outside uh, in the lobby there. It's an apple tree, and they have each written some things that they need. It has, it's a variety of things. Some of it is like old cereal boxes and records. Some of it's things that's in your basement right now. Uh, other things are dry erase markers, stuff that you can purchase, or gift cards that they can purchase what they need. So would you stop um, as you're going out? There's some EFCA students there. And if we all just give a little, it can really go a lot. I know these guys will appreciate it. Um, that'll be up for two weeks. So you can stop by this week or in weeks ahead. And we just want to bless these teachers in a big way. Can you guys just give them a great thank you? A warm, very first thank you. Great. Um, we'd also like, we also want to pray, um, if you are an Erie First uh, student, if you're here, would you come down? Come down here if you're, we're gonna, just going to fill this place up. So if you're a student, come on down. We're so thankful that you have, you're part of the school. Tap these guys on the back as they walk down. Tell them you're just so thankful they're here. Great job. Let's give them a round of applause. Good. Good. All right. Look at these guys. Come on down. Awesome. Awesome. So in just a moment, um, I want to pray for these students and these teachers, but I also want to pray for you if you're an educator in this community. Uh, raise your hand high if you're a teacher just across the city. Look at this. Awesome. These teachers, if you're near one of them, maybe you want to put a hand on their back. Uh, also, raise your hand if you're a student, if you're going back to college, or if you're just starting public school here in the next few days or a different school, raise your hand. All right, if you're near one of those people, would you put your hand on them? All right, so let's pray. Would you pray with me together? Jesus, we come to you right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you, God, for these educators in this room. God, we pray your protection over them every step this year. We pray for your provision, God, that they could have everything that they need uh, emotionally, physically, Lord God, spiritually. Uh, I, I, I'm reminded of Jabez and how he prayed to the God of Israel, would you bless me and enlarge my territory? And God, I pray this for these educators in this room at EFCA and all across this region, teachers that are in this room, God, that you would enlarge their territory, that you would bless them, that they could be influential in every arena that they serve as educators wherever that is, that they would speak the truth in love, Father God, that you would give them opportunities to serve you, opportunities to be your voice, to be your hands, and to be your feet. God, we are trusting you for a big year, the best year they have had, God, because you are setting up divine appointments even now with administration and students and, and, and things that you want them to do, God. I pray that you would enlarge their territory. And the scripture says, uh, God granted his request. And so, God, we, we just pray for that in confidence. And God, I pray for these students, these students at EFCA and these students all across our sanctuary, God, and we pray your protection over them, God. Every single bus stop, God, every single classroom, every single uh, thing that the enemy might have in store, God, we ask that you would thwart his plan, Lord, and that there would be great protection over these schools and over these students, Lord, every day. We pray there would be a light on a hill to other students, God, that just like Matthew 5 says, that they would be 
a light on a hill, God, that they could share the message of who Jesus is in whatever context they're in. God, I pray they would work hard, they would accomplish your purpose, that they would hear and understand and succeed and lean on you in every single way. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open doors of opportunity to influence them, uh, other people around them, God, that they would, they would not stop, they would not think that this is an ordinary year, God, but that they would walk into wherever they're going as a mission field and as an understanding that you have purpose for them. God, I pray Ephesians 6 over them, God, that they would be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I pray they would put on the full armor of God so that they can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But God, we know we have the victory, and so we stand firm in that today. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.